For a very long time now, mankind has investigated the secrets of the universe. With unflagging determination, we continue to explore mysteries, attempting to solve the riddles and the perplexities of our world. The ancient Greek philosophers were obsessed with deciphering the quintessence, that fifth element of the universe. They believed the world was constructed of four elements, of earth and wind and fire and water. But they believed there had to be a a fifth and purer element, something that couldn't be touched or seen or at this point in time discerned. This mysterious fifth element, they believed, permeated all of nature and it was the substance of which the supposedly unchanging heavenly bodies were comprised, were made of. Of course, not understanding the universe as we do, they saw the heavenly bodies as never altering their course and never changing, and so they had to be made of this pure substance. What was it? How do we find it? How can we extract it? How can we touch it? Can you imagine These ancient Greek philosophers would come back today and would consider and learn about deoxyribonucleic acid, DNA, the genetic material embedded in the nuclei of cells that comprises an astonishingly complex information storage system for building proteins. Molecular biologist Michael Denton claims that one teaspoonful of DNA, if you could do that, one teaspoonful of DNA would contain all the information needed to build the proteins of every species of organism that has ever lived on the earth. And you would still have room for information to store every word in every book that has ever been written in one teaspoon. Quite the supercomputer, isn't it? With the discovery of DNA, we theoretically have our hands on the ability to perfectly diagnose every disease. That would save a lot of lives right there. Having rightly diagnosed every disease, there is the potential theoretically to cure every disease in this information system. It is, in some sense, the finding of the fountain of youth. And this is just one secret of the universe that we have started to understand. But it seems we are much better as a race at deciphering the secrets of the physical universe than we are at discerning the secrets of the soul. Philosophers, social scientists, religious leaders have labored through the centuries to decode the secret of life. What is it? How do we discern it? How do we make life work? How do we succeed at living? How do we get along with one another, end war and oppression, govern people justly and fruitfully with various interests throughout the nations? How do we deal with the gnawing meaninglessness of life, the unending futility, the aching emptiness that stalks us as human beings? I know the answer, says the father of Proverbs. 
I know the answer. I know the secret of the soul. But it's not in distinction from the secrets of the universe. Actually, the secrets of the universe and the secrets of the soul are lodged in the very same source. That quintessential reality God has embedded into everything, that fundamental attribute of the universe that gives order to the chaos of the physical universe and order to the chaos of our souls, we can call wisdom. Wisdom. With a strong emphasis on wisdom's fundamental knowledge of creation, we return today to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8, remember as we noted it last week, was a single poem. We left it kind of in the middle last week at a good stopping place, but to give more time to consider the latter half of this chapter, last week we looked in the first 11 verses at the appeal of wisdom. Remember there, wisdom calls out on the heights, at the crossroads, at the busiest place of the street, crying out, verse 4, to you, O men, I call. And my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. Wisdom's not hiding. Not some lost element somewhere that we need to tease out of hiding or find or discover in that sense of the term. We need to search for it. But it's not hiding from us. It's our own sin and our own weakness. Wisdom is out there calling to us. We noted secondly in this lengthy poem the accomplishments of wisdom in the world. The accomplishments of wisdom in this world. Verse 15, By me kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me princes rule and nobles all who govern justly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. Wisdom is at work in this world, blessing people, and it is used even by those who govern in common grace to bring structure and order to the chaos of society. Wisdom is calling, wisdom is working in this world. Now we come at verse 22, and the poem shifts here, turning to primordial history. Not to what wisdom is doing now, how it blesses, how it governs, but rather looking at history primordially, looking back to a time, if we can say it, before time, prior to creation. In this section of the poem, we see wisdom predates the universe, and as one author has put it, is woven into the fabric of the created order. It's woven into the fabric of the created order, writes Garrett. We also established last week that wisdom is not the personification of an attribute of God. It's, it's something that God is wise, but it's, say, it's something else here in Proverbs chapter 8. It's not simply the attribute of God's wisdom. And we said, secondly, that wisdom is really not a person in actuality, namely the pre-incarnate Christ. What we encounter here is a personification of wisdom. Wisdom is, in a sense, the DNA of God's creative design. It is personified here as a person, just poetically, helping us to understand and to grasp its significance in the world in which we live. 
So we look first of all then at verse 22, at wisdom prior to creation. Just think of it in those terms. Wisdom predating creation. Verse 22, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of His work. The first of His acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. So very very much ordering the context here to the priority of wisdom over the created order. Now, it's not good form, but we got to stop for a while right on verse 1 as we work our way in. It's significant and will be more interesting to some than to others, but as we think through the interpretation of Scripture historically, there's a very significant verse here in Proverbs 8 and verse 22. You notice here our translation has a marginal note. It says that the Lord possessed me. As you see down below in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scripture, used the word created me. In fact, as we look at that Hebrew word, it can be translated that way. It can be translated possess, beget, as in birth, or create. Either of those three ways we find in Scripture. Early in the 4th century, there was a presbyter by the name of Arius, He lived and ministered in Alexandria, Egypt, and he claimed that Jesus was created. That Jesus was thus of a different substance than the Father. There's a lot of Arians around today in different dress. They look a lot different, smell a lot different, but they are really Arians in their orientation. Jesus had a beginning. There was a time when he was not. Arius and his followers translated the Hebrew word kana here, that's translated in our translation possessed, they translated it created. And they said that wisdom here is Jesus Christ. So there was a time when Jesus was created. As one author has said, in every alleyway and street of Alexandria, Arians could be heard quoting Proverbs 8.22, the Lord created me. Yahweh created me, and that was, they said, the statement of Jesus Christ, a day when he was created. Athanasius, also ministering in Alexandria, opposed Arius, insisting that Jesus was not created, that he was eternal, and that Christ, the Son of God, is of the same substance as the Father. There's not a day when Jesus is created, there was never a time when he was not But Jesus, the eternal begotten Son of the Father, proceeding within the Trinity from the Father, yet never created, but of the same substance as the Father. Well, what does Athanasius do with Proverbs 8.22? Athanasius could not think around the idea that wisdom is Jesus Christ. And I think there might be some political reasons for him not wanting to do so. We won't get into that. But he said it it has to be Jesus Christ. And this word is translated created. And so he took it as created. But And I'll not get into the details. But through some hermeneutical gymnastics, he has wisdom as Jesus. He is created. But he's created, for instance, in the image of man or something like that. It's a long story. But it's, it's significant, and as we seek to interpret Scripture, we don't want to just dismiss it because our translation says possessed. So, think of this. 84 uses of this word 
in the Hebrew Scriptures, only seven of them could possibly be translated created. So the vast majority of times that this word is used, it does not mean create. But even if it did mean create, as we have been working through Proverbs 8, wisdom is not Jesus Christ here. Wisdom is a personification of moral skill and discernment based on God's truth as a response to God's truth. So even if we translated the word kana, created, it is still simply a metaphorical concept. This is not a proof text to say Jesus was created. It's not even the context, really. It's not the best way to understand the poem. The intention of the author, I mean, ask yourself, do you believe the author of Proverbs is sitting down and seeking to tell us about the nature of Jesus? Well, clearly not. But can we draw that from this text? Again, I think only if we really miss the idea of the personification of wisdom here. Now, undoubtedly, wisdom points us to Christ. Hang on to that thought. But it's not talking here about the creation of Jesus. That's not at all the idea. Wisdom was with God at the beginning, a clear allusion to the creation of the world as recorded in Genesis chapter 1. So the point again in Garrett's words, wisdom is the first principle of the world and the pattern by which it was created. The first principle and the pattern by which the world was created. Proverbs 3.19 has said this, The Lord by wisdom found the earth. By understanding, He established the heavens. So that's a lot, but as we move at it, I think a very appropriate translation is what we have here. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His work. Don't read too much into it, but simply to say wisdom has always been there. It's a tool of God. It is used by God. The world itself is patterned by wisdom and created with wisdom. Verse 23, then, the ages ago, wisdom says, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the, of the earth. You remember in Job 38, God asked Job, where were you when I created the universe? Where were you, Job? And of course, Job can say nothing. He stands there in silence. We imagine his head hanging low. Well, wisdom says when God asks that question, where were you when I created the universe? Wisdom says, I was there. I was there. Notice that the language to follow parallels the creative account in Genesis 1 as we have memory of it. Verse 24, when there was no depth, I was brought forth. That's speaking of the the seas. When there were no springs abounding with water. Remember the subterranean springs that watered the earth before rain fell in judgment in Noah's day. I was there then. Verse 25, before the mountains had taken shape, before they had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world, I was there. The dust from which Adam, the head of our race, was formed. The arable soil he cultivated, and finally the dust to which his body returned in death. Wisdom says, I was there at the start of all of that. God creates 
through wisdom. Wisdom, says Walke, pre-existed the cosmos and thus has priority in time and rank over the rest of creation. It is, in a sense, at the very heart and essence of all that is in this universe. So we see here in these first few verses wisdom prior to creation, and then we look, there's a bit of a shift at verse 27, looking at wisdom during creation. Notice verse 27. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, I was there during all of this. Wisdom was there when God, verse 27, inscribed a circle, as it were, over the surface of the seas. The earth, as we know, is round. It doesn't take a lot to figure that out. You stand on the seashore looking out across the ocean and your eye grasps that, circul- that, that curvature on the horizon. I was there when God, as he poetically says, as the, as the Father poetically puts it here, inscribed a circle on the face of the deep. Wisdom watched the wonder of that design unfold in God's creative handiwork. When, verse 28, he made firm the skies above and established the fountains of the deep. When he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth. We've got a lot of people working to keep the ocean from coming in and tearing up buildings. Part of the problem is the buildings are too close. But when you think about it, it's amazing. There's a line the sea doesn't pass. And it might rise a little bit here and there, and certainly with storms and troubles come. Troubles come with storms and hurricanes and the like. But all of this creative design, bringing order out of the chaos and managing the minor chaos within that creative order, God sets a limit and says, here. Wisdom says, I know about that. I was there. I'm part of that whole process. Verse 30, then I was beside him with all of that, with the establishment of the skies and the seas and the earth, I was beside him like a master workman. This phrase is is also very much debated. In any event, we should not see wisdom here as the agent of creation. If you're following the flow of thought, you, you would find that to be very strange, that suddenly wisdom is the creator. Really, God is the creator up to this point, and the praise is to God as creator, as wisdom witnesses God's creation, certainly is involved in that, in that sense. We realize it's just poetic. But I don't think it's that wisdom created, God created. So as we understand master workman, there's other ways to translate it, but in any event, wisdom is an observer of creation, as we see in the next line of verse 30. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. And again here, we see the marginal reading, as the Hebrew text is somewhat complicated, but the ESV marginal reading, I think, is better here. Not suddenly, all of a sudden, God is delighting in wisdom. Though That could be said, but that's not the flow of the poem, is it? I'm standing watching God work, and I delight in what I see. It's, I think, how we should take it and should take the marginal reading here. I was daily filled with rejoicing as day by day God brings this beautiful world into existence. 
We might translate it, I was wholly delighting and rejoicing as I watched God create the universe. Wisdom finds great delight in the creative handiwork of God. Verse 31, rejoicing in His inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Verse 31 is restated here in verse 31b. So the first part of the verse, I was a master workman. I was daily His delight, rejoicing with Him. That is, I was delighting and rejoicing with Him, rejoicing in the inhabited world, which is the children, delighting in the children of man. In other words, the inhabited world is the earth created as our home. Wisdom sees God's creative genius in fashioning the earth as, a, as our home and rejoices. Do you? As wisdom watches God at work, wisdom rejoices. Do we? We live in a world of exquisite beauty and natural wonders. There's astonishing beauty in the moon and stars of the night sky. There is indescribable splendor in the blue expanse, the billowing clouds of the day. There's a blue out there that just can't be matched anywhere. Not by North Carolina, not by any color of any team anywhere. They just can't get that blue anywhere. Some try. Some of you are wearing shirts that are trying, but it, you just can't do that. There's beauty in it, and as you look into that space and know that you look essentially infinitely outward, there's a wonder here. We've got to stop and see it. There's exquisite wonder in the shimmering seas, the soaring mountains, in the fields and forests, the lakes, the rivers, the valleys of this world. Does it affect us as it should? Do we see it as we ought? Think of it in these terms as we look over a, a field of wheat, as we look into the depths of woods and see over the waters and into the sky and climb the mountains, as we see all of these things, do we realize God made this for us? Some of it, in fact, showing the effects of nothing but destruction. And yet there's such beauty in it. He made this for us. He made this as our home. He made this home that we would see His glories and rejoice in who He is. Now let's be careful we don't commune with nature. But there is a sanctifying value in communing with God in nature. I think it calls us to think Think in these terms to realize as we live out a skillful life, a wise life, that we will enjoy this world as God's gift and that we will walk in it and celebrate in it the glories of our Creator. I know it's a marginal application, but I think a real one. We need to visit parks. We need to walk around lakes and through woods, even if we're hunting. But we need to get into them to tend gardens and boat on lakes and explore natural wonders wherever we can, we need to simply look up into the sky sometimes in our busy lives to know that God made this our home and put it here for His glory. 
We need to see that He is the Creator and that these are His gifts to us. Wisdom sees this. The inhabited world. Wisdom sees, it delights in the children of man. Wisdom delights particularly in the image bearer of God who serves as His vice regent in the world. As we think wisdom and we begin to order our life by it, think of this. Wisdom does not despise people. Wisdom doesn't look at the crowd and get irritated. There's irritating things about the crowd, certainly at times, but it sees people and it doesn't want to avoid them. Wisdom rejoices in people as God's creatures inhabiting this wonderful world. And so with all of that poetic orientation and reference to creation, wisdom now offers her final appeal. Verse 32, And now, sons, listen to me, says the Father. Listen to me. If we have any fear of God, what else would we want to do but listen? Wisdom accompanies God in the creation of the universe. We have the privilege to listen to her counsel. She knows how the universe was formed and can rightly announce, verse 32, blessed are those who keep my ways. Blessed are those who keep my ways. If you, if you put this together, some of you may be here this morning, that's not how you think. This is really going to reorient your thinking if you indeed embrace it and trust it. That there is a Creator God and embedded in everything that we see is His glory, His wonder, His wisdom, and I can touch that. I can access that wisdom. Wisdom knows the universe. She knows the DNA of God's creative design. Wisdom observed and comprehended all that God created. She says in verse 33, Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates and waiting beside my doors. DNA itself was created by the wisdom of God. If we know what's good for us, we will wait with anticipation at her doors. We will wait to receive her daily counsel. Verse 35, 4, she says in motivation, whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Pretty simple, isn't it? Wisdom is the key to life. Spurning wisdom is a ticket to death. So in poetic form, Proverbs 8 calls us to heed the counsel of God. To align our lives with God's truth. Wisdom attended God as He brought order out of chaos. Wisdom attended God as He set in place and provided order to the universe. Wisdom attended God as He wove moral structure into the created order. And now wisdom's DNA pulsates in the very fabric of our world. And so, 
we go back to verses 15 and 16 by way of illustration. By me kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me princes rule and nobles all who govern justly. Or those who govern on the earth might be the way to read it. Now think of this. Put it together. Wisdom, creation, bringing order out of chaos. How do we tie that with those who rule? A wisdom, as wisdom attended God in the ordering of the cosmos, so wisdom attends rulers who, as one says, issues decrees that give enduring structure to society. Their civil order reflects in miniature the divine cosmic order. So God orders this universe and we are able as people to touch that idea, to bring it into our social realm and to bring order out of the chaos of human life. In one sense then, we become recreators. Minor creators. Only God can create out of nothing. Only God is the creator. But we can operate as He does to bring order out of chaos, to structure and to bring beauty into our world. Rulers and kings can put mankind's house in order as they follow the fundamental wisdom programmed into the world by the Creator. And you and I can do the same thing as we heed the wisdom of God in the ordering of our lives. How's it going? I blow it all the time. But I look at the influence of God's truth and wisdom upon my life and I thank Him for it. We don't order things as we should. We don't apply wisdom to the relationships and the trials of our lives as we should. But, by the mercy of God, we're learning we grow to understand how life is put together and how it ought to be ordered. If you notice here, there's three players in Proverbs 8. Very clear to see Yahweh, the Creator, the Lord, verse 22. There is secondly wisdom personified here as a woman's appealing uh, for us to heed. And there are people humanity so wisdom is in a sense then playing a mediatorial role between god and man in this poem wisdom is fully aware of the creative design embedded in the universe revealed by the words of god and wisdom grants us access to that design calling to us talking to us counseling us saying i'll put you in touch with that so to speak i'll let you touch how God thinks, how He works, how He orders His world. How do we make life work? How do we succeed at living? How do we get along with others and answer the meaninglessness, futility, and emptiness that possesses us as human beings? Here it is in simple form. We vigilantly hear and heed the words of God. We come to this book not merely as a tradition. 
we come to this book as the living words of God and we order our life to His communication to us. God is known through the text of Scripture. He's known through human language. And as we heed that counsel, what we do is we grasp true life. Here we gain the counsel revealing the moral skill and discernment that is programmed into the world that we inhabit. And we can go our own way, we can design our own laws, we can do it how it feels right to us, but when we live that way, we live out of sync with everything around us. All of creation pulsates with the love and the glory and the wisdom of God. But I can pulsate with self and sin and be completely out of touch with the world the Lord has brought into being for our pleasure. Heeding His word and His counsel is life itself. Spurning that counsel is death. Heeding it leads us to figure life out. Spurning it leads us to twisted and debilitating ways of life. It turns us away from the joy to which He calls us. Jesus is that wisdom, ultimately. As revelation progresses, as we come to define what that wisdom is, ultimately it is found in the person of Christ. I don't think Proverbs 8 is talking about Jesus. The pre-incarnate Christ. However, as we understand what wisdom is and how it works itself out in life, we come to know, as Revelation points us there, that ultimately wisdom is located in a person. Jesus is greater than wisdom in that He did not watch God create, He created Colossians 1, by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as our Creator then, and as the ultimate mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 1.30, becomes our wisdom and here's as we stand on this side of the cross, the wonder of it. For us, wisdom is not a poetic abstraction. Living on this side of the cross, it's not only the written word of counsel. For us, wisdom is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. His historical death and resurrection and His being who He is as He stands in our place decoding the spiritual secret of the universe is no mystery it's walking in fellowship with jesus christ it is locking into the story of who jesus is and trusting god's wise plan of salvation that one day jesus christ the sinless son of god the word made flesh came and died in our place to pay the penalty of our sin rising from the dead in defeating death that is wisdom ultimately personified it is the wisdom to which this wisdom in proverbs 8 is always pointing now think of this uniting to jesus christ by faith we are united to the creator by whose power and for whose sake this universe was brought into being <laughs> 
And we commune then not with nature directly, but we commune with the God who made nature. We know the One who spoke it into being and who gave us life. There is in our lives chaos. We bring it upon ourselves many times. There's that chaos that we do not bring upon ourselves that is simply forced upon us. We realize over and over again as human beings we cannot control circumstances. And chaos often walks right through the door with it. What is the chaos of your life? Where is it disordered? Where is it twisted and broken? Trials? Futility? Confusion? Weakness? Failure? Shattered dreams? Broken relationships? Loneliness? Deprivation? Sin? Skillful living through the chaos of life is rooted in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is not rooted in self. It's not rooted in working to get all your circumstances in line with what you want them to be. It is not realized in your own wisdom and intuition. It is realized only in Jesus Christ. God's incarnate Word come to reveal to us His truth and counsel. The controlling center of the universe, the quintessential source of all wisdom is Jesus Christ. Do you know Him? Without Him, we can do nothing. With Him, we learn to synchronize our lives with wisdom itself. And we then rejoice as part of His creative handiwork in fellowship with the God of the universe. We will return to dust, all things being equal. But will we return to God? You're living out the answer to that question by the way that you're ordering your life. Is it ordered by Christ crucified and risen and the revealed Word of God? Do you see the counsel of God as your life? As we come to be His people through faith in His Son, God gives us life in His name. And in that, we can and for God's people will rejoice forever and ever. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we come before You acknowledging our brokenness, how often we try to order life by our own wisdom and our own schemes. How often we fall into folly and foolishness. And we know a great deal of suffering because of it. But we've gathered here today in great hope that Jesus Christ is risen. That He is the agent of creation. Grants to those who trust in His death and resurrection life eternal. In that life we hope. And I ask for those who know You as Savior here that we might be stirred in our soul to align our lives with the external Word, with the counsel that comes from You. That we would not be pressed by our culture and by our time to deny what Your Word says, but that we would realize that it is our life 
and that we would align our lives to it. We need help with that. We fall short. But I thank you for the joy that you bring as wisdom is applied in the lives of your people. There may be some here who know about Jesus but have not met him personally. There is no living, vibrant connection to the wisdom of the universe for them. Just concepts, tradition. Father, break through. Good Shepherd Jesus, we ask you to break through. Open blind eyes and show us that you are the wisdom of this world. That there is no truth outside of you. You are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through your saving grace. Open our eyes to see this and use us and stir us as we apply these truths, even this afternoon, in relationship with one another. Teach us how this text affects us, how it should affect us. I pray that in our smaller groups we would be able to confess sin, identify conviction, express joy, and that we might gather to wonder at your saving and creative powers. I pray this in the name of our Savior. Amen.